Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. Show. All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman and Kirk Crosby live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use. No doubt starts now. This, my fellow Americans, is the broadcast for September the 16th in the year of our Lord, 2019. This is our one of two and our goal always to protect life, liberty, and property and to promote God, family, and country on your radio and the traditions of our founding fathers. Yes, indeed, we use the blueprint for liberty, the supreme law of the land, the Constitution for the United States of America as our guide. And absolutely, we're convinced the checks and balances brilliantly put in place by the founding fathers, one of the great peaceful restorative solutions we have at our fingertips. We reject revolution. We stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. Welcome to Liberty Roundtable Live. I had a delightful weekend. Pray you and your family did as well. A quick recap of Saturday's show. I was live this last Saturday. And uh, we talked, rest in peace, brother. Eddie Money has passed away. He died on Friday at 70 years old. The legendary singer slash saxophonist passed away after suffering from numerous health problems. And the reason I focus so much about Eddie Money passing away, um, you know, he was a rock star, right? And uh, he, you know, lived, I'm sure, much of the lifestyle of the rock stars and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's not something really to be commemorated. I personally liked his music. But the reason that I bring up Eddie Money is he said two things as he got sick and passed away that I think is really worth focusing on. Number one, he got sick with cancer. And it was devastating. And uh, one of the things that he said was, hey, you know what? Um, a lot of famous people don't really tell you what's going on. I want to flat out tell you that I have cancer. And uh, I want to be honest with my fans and with society about that. And, you know, it's interesting. A guy that says, I want to be honest with you is pretty impressive. Especially when it comes to that kind of personal news, etc. Usually we hear about what maybe happened to them later after they passed away or whatever else. But he came clean, uh, came, you know transparent with all that and said, I want to be honest. That was interesting. The other thing interesting about him is when he said, I want to be honest and I got cancer and all this kind of stuff. Then the next thing he said, again, I don't think the mainstream press wants to focus on this one. He said, you know what? Back in the fifties and sixties and seventies, people would die from this stuff, but you know what? We've come a long way since then. And that demonstrates kind of a message of hope a little bit. And then he said this, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I just know it's in God's hands. And uh, you know how many rock stars refer to God and say, you know what, my life is in God's hands. And I think any money's right on that fact as well. And I uh, commend him for that. All right, we talked about on Friday with Sheriff Richard Mack. We had a two-hour hard-hitting show. First hour had um, Ammon Bundy and Ken Cromar with us. Second hour had the good Sheriff Richard Mack with us. And Sheriff Mack openly invites sitting Sheriff Mike Smith to show transcript of a hearing for Ken Cromar and deliver a copy to Ken. Well, uh, Richard got a hold of the sheriff. Sheriff Mike Smith simply refuses to get involved. So there you have that. We did follow up on this, and no dice. He's not going to do it. He's not claiming there was or was not a hearing. He's just saying he believes that you know Ken Cromar has been given due process. Ken says he hasn't. The battle rages on. Ken says, you know what? Show me the law. You guys are making accusations. Show me the law. And what does due process require? And I spent the rest of Saturday, the hour, talking about this. What does due process require? And it's very vague indeed. What is tax court? 
And how does it work? It's an absolute shame, tyrannical reality when we have a special tax court um, that's led by judges, not a jury of your peers. And it, most of the rules are off. You have to prove your innocence rather than, well, you know, they got to prove your guilt. See, it's kind of a different scenario there in tax court. How does evidence work in tax court? See, it's very interesting. What is the burden of proof on the taxpayer to, taxpayer to provide? All right. So the bottom line is I can say this when it comes to Ken Cromar and others who have been abused by the IRS. A former um, Van Buren, President Van Buren, quote, I think echoes through time. Gentlemen, your cause is just, but I can do nothing for you. Seems to be reality. We discussed that on Saturday, hour one, hour two. We talked about September 11th, 2001. More evidence of a controlled demolition in Building 7. We broke that down in detail. All right. Proof government got evidence wrong about collapse of WTC, World Trade Center Building 7. New evidence, Ben Swan, Truth in Media. We played a lot of his Truth in Media uh, video on this because it's so accurate, so detailed. Um, the bottom line is the government is lying, folks. And I know they're going to call me a conspiracy nut. They're going to call me a truther. They're going to mock me, mock me, mock me. But I say more and more evidence coming out. The University of Alaska did a three-year, $300,000 study. And they say there's no way that building came down the way the government said that it did. There's new investigations being opened into it now. They claim that, hey, the building had to have explosives planted in all columns to be literally um, destroyed at once for the building to come down. Well, that's what Stephen E. Jones said, physics professor out of Brigham Young University that lost his job over this discussion, or they had a mutual relationship to, to end their relationship or mutual agreement to end their relationship. I don't know. All I'm telling you is 300 plus engineers and architects, uh, everybody's saying the same thing that, you know what, it just did not happen the way the government said that it did. So I'm not into conspiracies because I don't know what happened, but I know this, the confusion and the disparity between what we're told and what we're finding is reality is shocking. It's also interesting to note Ron Paul back in the day when he was a congressman about 9-11 said, hey, most of these uh, hijackers are from Saudi Arabia. Now it turns out they're documenting 14 out of the 19 certainly were. And so uh, very, very strange. There was never repercussions um, towards Saudi Arabia. The repercussions were all about Iraq, Osama bin Laden who we used to fund, you know, very strange stuff is all I can say. Our prayers are with the folks that lost their lives and their families and all the suffering that has taken place for 9-11. And we pray we can get to the reality on that, that we can know the truth and that we can create true accountability. Whether we'll get that or not, don't know. Time will tell, but we're sure going to pray for it. And we're sure going to do our best to work towards it. All right. That's a recap that took place uh, on Saturday's broadcast. LibertyRoundtable.com for live and on-demand radio at your fingertips. If you have the heart to help, every penny will help grow our presence in the media as the new media takes on the mainstream press like never before. The new media is taking center stage. All right, news the networks refuse to use starts now. Kirk Crosby's with me. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. Buenos dias. Greetings and salutations. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Thank you, Sam. You're very welcome. In 1955, Kurt, DAR, do you know who they are? Daughters of the American Revolution? Yes, sir. Good work. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. In 1955, okay. Daughters of the American Revolution petitioned Congress to set aside September 17th to the 23rd 
annually to be dedicated for the observance of Constitution Week, Kurt. And that's about to start tomorrow. And uh, since, you know, we're all about the Constitution, it's interesting to me. The Fourth of July is celebrated, and, you know, justly so. Don't don't misunderstand me. I'm not downing that or anything. I'm just saying, um, you know, we celebrate that big time. But Constitution Week, Constitution is the supreme law of our land, folks. And it's interesting to me how nobody really knows even about Constitution Day, which is tomorrow, September 17th, not to mention Constitution Week. So I think that's worthy of effort. And I'm really commending the Daughters of the American Revolution for their willingness to uh, work so hard to get this done. It's only been since 1955 that they've made a week out of it, September 17th to September 23rd. And we'll be celebrating it this week. We'll be talking about it more and more and stuff like that. Uh, It's a day early, but I wanted to, you know, one of the things that's interesting, oftentimes I find out about a day or a week or some kind of a celebratory something month or something week or something day. I find out about it like after it's too late or after the fact or something. In this case, we want to give you a heads up so you have full awareness. Celebrate the supreme law of our land, the Constitution, and the suffering and the difficulties and the revolutionary reality that it took to make it happen. Uh, and good for the daughters of the American Revolution. They got celebrations all over the country, Kurt, for this as well. So I commend them, and I thank them, and I revere them, the Daughters of the American Revolution, as well as the leaders of the American Revolution. It took some guts. It took some faith. It took some prayers. It took hard work. It took blood, sweat, and tears. It took giving up your fame, your your fortune, uh, your sacred honor. It took everything uh, to get here, but what a blessing it is. And every day we have uh, that's a day of freedom uh, is really a, a thankful day for the hard work that they all put in and for the legacy they left and for the legacy that I believe we need to uphold. And that's why we spend so much time on it. Any comments on this curtain? Say that question again, one more time. Any comments? I heard the Talking rest. About the daughters of the American Revolution. Well, yeah, sir. I just, uh, I, you know, wouldn't it be nice, Sam, if that whole thing got promoted like, um, I don't know, um, Black Lives Matter kind of thing or something else in the media. Or the latest uh, The movie Me Too or movement or whatever, you know. I mean, it's just, uh, you'll be lucky to find one person out of 100 that even knows it's Constitution Day tomorrow or week or any of that stuff. You're right, and that's why I spend kind of so much time talking about it. I mean, one, it's a worthy conversation uh, about Constitution Day. What does that mean? What does that celebrate? How is that different than the 4th of July, etc.? And the 4th of July literally is a, is a commemoration of the Declaration of Independence signage, right? Now, I know, don't, don't call me and email me. I know that the reality is it was signed on, September, or on July the 2nd. But it's the general time that we celebrate it, right? Well, you know what? The document that we live by, the supreme law of our land, is the Constitution. So I revere the Declaration of Independence as well. But I, the Constitution, in my mind, should be a bigger deal than even the Declaration of Independence. What do you want to celebrate? The, the um, rejection of another country or the governing supreme law of our land? I think the Constitution is one of the greatest documents ever written by man, in my opinion. Anyway, there you go. Quick pause. Sam and Curtin seconds. This is the one and only Liberty Roundtable live radio program. LibertyRoundtable.com. Did you know we're live six days a week? Yeah, how many talk shows do that? Two hours a day, six days a week, hard-hitting talk radio at your fingertips, live on your favorite AM, FM station, or online at libertyroundtable.com. Regrets? Oh, we're all going to have them. Doesn't matter who you are or what you do, at some point you're going to wish you'd done something differently. 
you know, the woulda, coulda, shouldas. But let me tell you a couple of things you'll never regret. You'll never regret spending extra time talking to your teenager, trust me. You'll never regret answering your three-year-old's question about where the water in the bathtub comes from. And I've never seen anyone wish they hadn't sat in the kitchen laughing with their children and telling them goofy stories about when they were kids. Yeah, sure, we're all going to have regrets, but talking too much with our kids won't be one of them. No matter what you talk about, love is what they'll hear. A thought from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Visit us at mormon.org. conceived in liberty carry its head high if it denies protection to the youngest and most vulnerable of its citizens. Can a country founded on God-given rights continue to thrive without understanding that life is a precious gift from our Creator? As a physician, I have looked into the eyes of one-pound babies. I have cradled their small bodies in the palm of one hand. I defy those who are careless, who would disregard life and look at these tiny little miracles and say, we're not going to protect that. But I believe there will come a time when we are all judged on whether or not we took a stand in defense of all life from the moment of conception until our last natural breath. One thing I promise you, I will always take a stand for life. All right, ladies and gentlemen, what do you call this show? This is the talk show with an attitude. Yeah. We have an attitude of revering the founding fathers, of literally uh, appreciating their leadership, their commitment, their sacrifice, and more. In 1955, the Daughters of the American Revolution petitioned Congress to set aside September 17th to be remembered annually. It's uh, September 17th through the 23rd to be remembered, to be dedicated for the observance of Constitution Week, September 17th, Constitution Day. And I was just saying right before the break, we need to remember that day. If you're going to remember a day, I mean, I support remembering the Declaration of Independence, and that's a big day for sure. But the day um, where we literally agreed to, these 13 colonies agreed to, the supreme law of our land, and that that has lasted for, what, well over a couple of hundred years? When how many years are we on now? 1787 is when it was signed, right? 87, 17, 200 years, 1987, 97, 107, 117, like 33, you know, 32 years, 232 years and going and continuing. Uh, and we have more freedom than anybody else in the world to this date. And we have not only more freedoms than most nations, but we have the um, framework even if we have problems in America, we can use the checks and balances in the framework to work ourselves towards making America great again, towards uh, the things that, that matter, the things that uphold the rule of law, the things that are of God, family, and country, etc. All right, anyway, enough of that, but we will commence to celebrate this all week long, okay? Don't forget it. All right, Carl Eichen in the news, Kurt. 
Yeah, are you familiar with this guy? No. Icon, I see, you know, I, I remember when I first heard the name, I thought, is he the guy that um, invented the little things on the computer screen? You know, the icons? It's icon, um, it's spelled I-C-A-H-N. Yeah, that's right. His name is C-A-H-N. But anyway, I just, you know, yeah. at first, I, don't I know if it's icon, I mean, back then, I just didn't know. I, can, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, I mean, these are icons that are on your computer or whatever. But this is Charles Icahn, or Icon. Carl. And, um, I, I don't, yeah, Carl. Um, but he's not, um, I don't think he's a con man as far as I know, Sam. He's just a uh, an investment big shot and uh, based in New York City. And, uh, you know, he's decided to cruise, and he's heading south, um, not just for the winter. Uh, he's had a home down there in Florida for a while, I guess. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, he's wanting to go down there because, number one, Florida doesn't even tax um, your uh, personal income tax. You know, there's no personal income tax. And, um, you know, the uh, guys at CNBC.com have a piece on it that says, um, if you're going to move like Carl, Carl Icahn to a low-tax state, it may backfire for you. Uh, and you say, well, why? And he says, well, they, they say states generally have two tests to assess residency, to be considered a statutory resident and taxed as a resident of that state. You have to uh, had to spend 183 days there during the year, and you must maintain a permanent place of abode there. Um, then they tell you there's a domicile test uh, that considers five key aspects that determine whether your true home, or in other words, the place you return to after you've been on the road, is in fact in that state. Question, why These do they have to know that? Mm -hmm. Well, it's because <laughs> the New Yorkers especially are trying to get, you know, they want to keep your money, Sam. Uh, you know, uh, the guys who basically say they're all progressive and everything but what they really are is just high-tax states um i mean it's sort of like a man imagine if you grew up shopping at some fancy pants um you know um store that was not walmart but just real you know high-end i guess department store and you decided, hey, man, I'm going to quit. I'm going to cut up my credit cards for that store, and I'm just going to go here because I found out I, I can pay half the price at Walmart or, you know, some other store like that. Uh, and that earlier store that had your, you know, business for all those years just said, well, you can cut up your thing, but we're still going to charge you because, um, you know, I mean, this is your home, you know. Uh, but anyway, that's that's what's going on with Carl Icahn. Uh, he told his uh, staff and everybody that uh, as of um, 2020, um, March, March 2020, they're going to shut their Manhattan office and open their uh, one in Miami in April of 2020. Uh, you know, if they really want to play it smart, they'd go out in kind of the country in Florida instead of, you know, just a big city. But... Um, who knows, you know, they're probably not going to do that, I don't think, are they? I, You know, I don't really know. I just know that it's shocking whenever we see these um, people just leaving. And it just shows the freedom that America has still left, Kurt. But it also shows the efforts certain municipalities are trying to push towards tyranny. 
I mean, it's so expensive. The guy's just like, I'm out, man. I'm leaving. All right. He's heading to Florida for lower tax rates, says Bloomberg. Uh, you know what? Yeah, Rush did this. Like... Glenn Beck did this. I mean, the, the, the train of, of big people doing this is starting to grow, 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 grow. As there's more regulation and more tax. They're just sick of it, Kurt. When are these That's progressives right. going to learn? They, I mean, I guess they just don't get it, you know, somehow. They can't do basic math, but um, they have a, uh, a CNBC has a, a tax foundation, um, kind of a state tax burden, and they show uh, no income tax. You get a little zero there, and it shows uh, one state, Florida, Texas. I'm just going down through the list of states with no income tax. South Dakota, Wyoming, Nevada, um, and Washington and Alaska, Sam. So is that so seven, a, Kurt? You know, I, I was trying to count so, while you went. Seven so states much. with no state income tax. And amen to that, yeah. Kurt. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I mean, they provide competition. Um, and then when it shows the highest ones, Sam, um, you know, it's got New York at 2,249. Uh, you know, this is some base thing so you go from zero to 2249 then you got um looks like connecticut right up in there massachusetts you know these guys don't these seem are the California. highest taxing states is your yeah, point right yeah from an income right. tax point you know, of view yeah you got zero on the one end and then you got the you know big boys on the other end and they and they wonder why people leave sam um I mean, they don't really wonder why they know why they just out loud don't care. So they they act like they wonder why, but they know why, Kurt. I guess I hope, you know, they're smart enough. to. But they don't care. Why. Out, but they're just yeah. like there's enough suckers here to keep, you know, perpetuating the con mm -hmm. game. Right. The sad part yeah. is many people just don't have the wherewithal like a, a car like him to move, Kurt. And one of the yeah, good point. Like you got to have um, a job and you got to, you know, get started in the new location. It's expensive. And apparently, Sam, it costs you quite a bit to rent a U-Haul from those places where the everybody's leaving. Yeah, even a U-Haul's more expensive. They're like, hey, we know that everybody wants to get out of here, and we know that it'll be a cash cow if we... And so, hey, there you go, supply and demand, right? Well, here. apparently you can go, say, you know, it's going to cost you like two grand to leave a high-tax state with a U-Haul. And if you're going from a low-tax state back to the high-tax state where they need the vehicles or they need the trailers, it costs you like, say, 500 bucks, you know? Yeah, if we uh, can just roll a trailer in so we can <laughs> charge somebody else a bundle to get out of there, then we're in. That's right. And <clears throat> Now, the other interesting thing is, Kurt, there's a lot of states that don't have an income tax, seven of them. And I commend those states, mm -hmm. by the way. Yeah. I wish Utah, where I lived, was one of them. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's also a, the other side of the coin, which is a property tax. And there's several states that don't have Good a property point. tax either. Now, sadly, the state that I live in has both. They're not as high mm -hmm. as many states, but there are both. And some would say, yeah. well, Sam, you can't get rid of all these taxes because you got to you know, fund government in some way. Oh, they got plenty of ways that are, in my opinion, a whole lot more constitutional uh, to fund mm -hmm. government than a property or an income tax, okay? Good point. Um, those are both, in my opinion, planks of the Communist Manifesto, so be, beware. Um, but mm -hmm. I, I'm looking for the first state that gets rid of a property and an income tax, but as far as I can tell, it doesn't exist yet, Kurt. <clears throat> Hopefully right. one state will get point. bold and, and, and get her done. Um, so there's seven states that don't have an income tax. How about property tax? Do you know? I don't know about we that. we got to look that up yeah. real quick over the break yeah. and see if we can figure out what, you know, what list of states don't have a property tax. 
And people flock to those mm-hmm. states. And I know this, if people live in western Idaho, Kurt, oftentimes, they'll go into Washington or Oregon to do things. Like, I don't think Oregon, one of them doesn't have a sales tax or whatever. And so, you know, which states don't have a sales tax? Which states don't have a property tax? Um, these are important because it it changes the behavior of people, Kurt. Anyway, let's talk about it. Hopefully, Kurt can use Google and find that out. Hopefully, Google hasn't blocked that yet. And we'll see if we can't find out. Seven states without an income tax and good on them. Carl Icahn bail in New York because it's just too crazy expensive over there because of the belligerent, out-of-control regulation and taxation. And uh, seven states without an income tax. How many without a sales tax? How many without a property tax? This is the one and only Liberty Roundtable Live. Exposing corruption. Informing citizens. Pursuing liberty. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News with Chris Barnes. General Motors and the United Auto Workers Union negotiators are to resume talk shortly, but for now, nearly 50,000 GM workers are on strike. The first strike at GM in 12 years. At one demonstration in Detroit, President of UAW Local 22, Wiley Turnage, says... It's great to have support, you know, because we serve the community. You know, we have a lot of restaurants, we have gas stations, you know, so... We need to keep this plant viable as possible. And then we have a lot of young families working here, a lot of temporary workers, you know, that have no stability in their life. So we're just trying to secure everyone's future. In President Trump's words on Twitter, the U.S. is locked and loaded, ready to respond to the weekend drone attacks on a giant Saudi oil refinery. The U.S. blames Iran for the attacks. And you're listening to USA Radio News. Do you have an idea for an invention or new product? Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Then call InventHelp now. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential and explains every step of the invention process. We create professional materials representing your idea and submit it to companies who are looking for new ideas. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We also offer services including 3D modeling and animation demonstrating your idea, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to show InventHelp client ideas to additional companies. Join the thousands of people just like you who chose InventHelp to pursue their idea. We are experienced. We are working for you. We are InventHelp. Call us for free information at 1-800-460-1663. That's 1-800-460-1663. Again, 1-800-460-1663. President Trump wants the Justice Department to, as he puts it, rescue Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh after a new accusation of sexual misconduct emerged. On Twitter, the president suggests Kavanaugh sue for libel. A report published to the New York Times claims one of Kavanaugh's Yale classmates saw him expose himself at a dorm party back in the 1980s. Democrat running for the White House, Senator Amy Klobuchar, among those calling for Kavanaugh's impeachment. My concern here is that the process was a sham. Um, I don't think you can uh, look at impeachment hearings without getting the documents. The House would have to get the documents, and the Attorney General is shielding documents. The Tennessee Titans say a mechanical failure by pyrotechnic devices caused a fire at Nissan Stadium before yesterday's game against the Colts. It happened on the sidelines. A stadium worker put out the fire, and no one was hurt. And this is USA Radio News. 
I want to dedicate this song to Mr. Rupert Murdoch. All right, Liberty Roundtable Live continues right along. Hard-hitting talk. Carl Eichen leaving New York says it's just too flat-out expensive. Too much taxation. I would submit to a great degree too much taxation without representation. By the way, did you know it's Constitution Week? Yeah, indeed. September 17th through the 23rd. All right, it's almost Constitution Week. Constitution Week. It starts tomorrow, right? Anyway, uh, Carl... I can head into Florida, according to Bloomberg. Try to get lower taxes. I think that's good news. All right, Kurt, any luck finding out which states don't have a property tax? Well, um, you know, when you put in uh, states with no property tax and uh, Google, you get, um, well, according to Yahoo.com, it says um, these are the states with the lowest property taxes. So as far as I can tell, that means... There's still a property tax. I think there's some there. states that don't have a property tax, though. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, they list uh, these states have the lowest property taxes, and uh, you've got, um, you know, thinking about moving. It says these states have the lowest property taxes. According to Yahoo Finance, uh, best states for property taxes are, number one, Alabama, two, Louisiana, three, Hawaii, that surprises me. Say these again. Start For Alabama, Louisiana, Hawaii, uh, West Virginia, South Carolina, Arkansas, and Delaware. Wow. So I'm, I was surprised at least out of that list to find Hawaii there and Delaware as well. Um, you know, the others don't surprise me. Uh, they say uh, Delaware, you know, they give you the number there. Uh, but I'm trying to look and see if I can find the highest ones. Uh, but um, let's say, yeah, they've got a list here. The uh, worst would be, they include Washington District of Criminals, you know, so you got 51 total here. And they say the worst is New Jersey, New Hampshire, Connecticut, Illinois, New York, Wisconsin, Vermont, Rhode Island, Oh, Texas is in the at number forty three, but uh, like I say, at least they don't have a income tax, you know. Um, anyway, and then on the other end, after number seven, you got uh, number eight on the lower end: uh, Wyoming, Mississippi, Colorado, Tennessee, New Mexico, Utah, comes in at number thirteen on that other end. Yeah, I'm searching, and everything that I'm finding is, uh, like you're saying, I swear I thought there were some states that don't have uh, property taxes. Maybe every state has a property tax, which is a a big shame. Uh, Which states have no sales tax? Right? Um, Maybe it's sales tax I'm thinking of. There's just so many taxes, it's hard to keep this all straight, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? (laughs) Telling you right now. Mm Mm-hmm. There's Let's five see, states, states that don't have a sales, no sales tax, sales from what tax. I understand. Okay, I see. Alaska. Uh, Alaska. Good. Delaware. Montana. Mm-hmm. New Hampshire. Oregon. Yeah. <clears throat> so maybe that's what I was thinking of, Kurt. No sales tax. Anyway, it's just a complicated thing. But I mm-hmm. uh, bring it up because I would like to highlight, you know, I understand the paying for the proper role of government. And if you believe in Constitution Week and you believe in the supreme law of the land, you realize there is a legitimate need to fund the proper role of government. 
So to those of you who say that I'm anti-government, get a load of this. I say there's necessary funding for the proper role of constitutional government on the federal level and on the state level. Now, I believe government's way, 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 way too bloated because of too much regulation and too many unconstitutional government programs and everything else. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but I would say that there is a legitimacy in how is best to uh, get the money necessary to pay for the proper role of limited constitutional government. And there's taxes that I like better than others by far. So, for example, I'm fine with an apportionment tax. If you say, listen, in the United States, there's 330 million Americans. In Utah, there's 3 million Americans. So, therefore, American Americans who live in Utah have, you know what, three millionth part of the 330 million people in the nation. Therefore, hey, they should be taxed their fair share of whatever the nation costs on a federal level. Now, reducing that's paramount, no doubt. But, again, the state could send that apportionment to the feds upon good behavior, right? Secondarily, the state could, on apportionment tax, just say we're not going to violate your property rights. We're not going to violate your income rights. We're not going to um, – we're going to just say, look, if there's 3 million people in Utah and the budget's this much, then here's your one three millionth portion, right? Very easy to do. Or you could say we're not going to do it by that. We're going to – we don't care about the youngsters. They don't pay taxes anyway, so you're not one three millionth. We're going to go back and say, hey, how many working adults or how many adults are there? If you're over 18, then how many of those? And then that will be the number. There's different ways that you can derive the number. But in every way, the, the point would be a whole lot less involvement in my personal life. So you don't need some Social Security number. You don't need my birth date. You don't need my address and my residence. You don't, you don't need all this tracking on me and on my finances and on my income and, you know, ding me if I do better or become more wealthy. You just simply say this is your portion and you got to pay. And then it becomes non-invasive. It doesn't violate the Fourth and Fifth Amendments, etc. Uh, it doesn't violate your right to privacy. It doesn't, you know, get into your personal life. It just simply pays for the appropriate uh, role of government. Now, I'm okay with a sales tax, and uh, I am not okay with a property or an income tax. Why? Because what if I can't? What if I pay my property off and then I somehow fall on hard times and I'm really, really, really broke? I should not have to pay the government every single year to live in the home that I've completely paid off. It should be my property now. Not my property with government stipulations that if I don't pay the piper, then eminent domain happens and they can just steal it from me. Or whatever you want to call it. The government shouldn't have dibs on my property. And, and that's why I have a problem with the income tax. I don't like the paralyzing of the income side of the equation. If I'm not doing very well but I have an income, let me save. Let me internally prosper. But if I have outlay for services, usage tax or services, then fine. But at a sales tax, there's no tracking of me or my private property or choking my income side of the equation or choking my ability to live should I not have very much to speak of. Uh, and so I don't like property taxes and I don't like income taxes because I believe they're part of the Communist Manifesto. Uh, I do not mind a sales tax, and I do not mind an apportionment tax because I believe they're constitutional. But I believe, again, uh, there's easy ways for the government to get their money and not pray into our private lives. The problem with that is governments lose their control mechanism and their fear factor over us. Uh, nevertheless, I would like to look for uh, – I don't celebrate states with no, in, uh, no sales tax, Kurt. I mean, I know it saves you money. But again, why don't they get rid of the property tax and uh, have a sales tax? Why don't they get rid of the income tax? I believe you can get rid of the income tax and the property tax very easily. 
uh, and have a sales tax. And you would say, Sam, the sales tax might be 10, 12% that way. Don't care. At least you're not prying into my private life. And at least if I fall on hard times and struggle to bring in money and or struggle to hold on to my property, I'm not going to lose either. And if I'm doing well and I decide to spend and participate in society, you're going to get every piece of that. Uh, I like the apportionment tax the best because there's just no prying into my private life. There's no protecting the poor at the expense of the rich. There's no games that can be played with that kind of stuff. So anyway, that's, that's my take. Kurt, do you want to weigh in on this? What's your, what's your take? I, I bring it up because I think it relates to Carl leaving floor, um, New York and heading to Florida's point. Uh, again, I want taxes that don't invade my life, that don't choke my ability to progress and prosper. Uh, but I do understand the need to pay for the proper role of constitutional government. And there's ways to do that, ladies and gentlemen. That's my point. There's ways to avoid the Communist Manifesto and the property or the income tax. I don't know which is worse, a property tax or an income tax. They're both very egregious. Uh, what do you say, Kurt? Any comment on this one? Well, you know, at least I think you've already covered most of it, but the only thing I'd probably add is, um, you know, just a simple idea that says, hey, when you have some money, you know, is the best time to pay for things. And typically when you're buying something, you know, in other words, you're making a purchase, you're you know, that's when, if you have to pay a tax, you know, is the ideal time. Sales tax, you know, you, you mentioned about, you know, what happens if you fell on hard times and you don't have money to pay your property tax. Then there goes your house or whatever. Uh, so, I mean, uh, you can literally cut back if, if you've got tougher times, but then on the other t- side it almost encourages states and and uh, i mean even if you had this on a national basis it encouraged the federal government to have a more of a you know robust economy if they were charging us just via sales tax uh, because then when people are buying things you know they're doing business they're making a living you know that's when the government's bringing the more money so you know it seems to me like it'd be a smart way to move yeah i set the stage for kurt to talk about his transaction tax and we're up against a break so when we come back we'll have kurt talk about that but what i like even more about the transaction tax than the sales taxes you know you don't want a tax to be a big burden uh, at any time and if you move it to a transaction tax it becomes a tiny piece of what you're doing as opposed to a large piece of part of what you're doing um the goal is to make the taxes that are necessary um not hard to bear, not hard to handle. Let's talk about it because I think the transaction tax is one great option that fits that bill. Hold on, folks. As a parent, is receiving a faith-based, character-focused education for your children difficult to find? Do you believe that godly principles should be a central component in your child's education? Imagine a school where faith and integrity are at its center, where heritage and responsibility instill character. For over 40 years, American Heritage School has been educating both hearts and minds, bringing out academic excellence. This is the school where character and embracing the providence of a living God are fundamental, where students' national test scores average near the 90th percentile. With American Heritage School's Advanced Distance Education Program, distance is no longer an issue. With an accredited LDS-oriented curriculum from kindergarten through 12th grade, your children can attend from anywhere in the world. American Heritage School will prepare your child for more than a job. It will prepare them for life. To learn more, visit American-Heritage.org. 
That's American-Heritage.org. Liberty is not free. Its costs are innumerable. Without monetary funding, the valiant efforts of freedom-loving Americans become diminished or outright defeated. We present a solution, the Give Me Liberty Fund. The plan is quite simple. Invite individual Americans to contribute less than a dollar a day. These monetary funds are used to promote liberty-minded media, organizations, events, candidates, movements, and speakers. In the spirit of transparency, all expenditures are published. Patriotic business owners provide discounted products and services to Give Me Liberty Fund members. Our greatest strength is in numbers. Go to GiveMeLibertyFund.com and become part of the solution today. GiveMeLibertyFund.com Participate in the peaceful restoration of the greatest and freest country in the world. Back with you live, ladies and gentlemen. So I've been talking about a sales tax, an apportionment tax. Those are great options that are certainly less invasive. But there's another idea that's very similar, but a lot broader in some ways, but lower in many ways. Interesting opportunity. Charles Collins talked about it back in the day, Kurt. Well, that's right. And uh, if you don't know who Charles Collins is, ladies and gentlemen, he's a re- Republican who ran for president back in the, uh, I think it was 96, if I remember right. Uh, he was a Rhodes Scholar candidate. and never accepted it, but, you know, in other words, he's a pretty smart guy from Georgia. We called him the gentleman from Georgia. Uh, he also, uh, you know, during the uh, Republican campaigns, uh, somehow when he'd bring up the idea of eliminating the Federal Reserve and the income tax and stuff like that, Doggone, the mic didn't just go out, you know. Uh, they just had troubles, um, you know, getting that word out, if you will. But, you know, he and the uh, economists that he worked with uh, suggested that, hey, we could eliminate all taxes, and I underline that phrase, all taxes, uh, and includes fees, uh, and replace them with a simple uh, transaction tax that would include things like um, this is what Charles Icahn or Carl Icahn wouldn't really like, but would include things like hedge funds and stocks and, well, everything that was a financial transaction. And, uh, you know, there would be a small amount. At that time, uh, they estimated it would be like 1% on the first year, and that would pay off the national debt. And then after that, you know, you could drop it to something like a quarter of a percent on each transaction. Uh, to me, man, that that makes America great in so many ways, Sam, if you ask me. But, uh, you know, I don't hear much talk about that, do you? No, I don't. And that's why I bring it up and why I think it's really something that we need to seed the discussion with. Okay? Income tax, property tax, sales tax, which is the best way? To pay for the proper role of government, question mark, right? Um, yeah, Sam and I agree that a apportionment tax, a sales tax, or a transaction tax would be a much better solution, right? Right, and and I see when I put in a financial 
uh, or transaction tax, I see Bloomberg has an opinion piece on it. it. was back in June. Michael Edisis, I guess, is the author. It says, the case for a financial transaction tax. Uh, the only problem is whenever these guys start talking about it or whatever, bring it up, they forget that little idea of replacing all the other taxes. Well, in of course. Words, because they know, love they to just, just add new taxes. And that really right. is what's causing the problem in America that I seek her. The income tax alone has how many pages, how much confusion, how much, you know, I mean, nobody, nobody, Kurt, that files their income tax feels comfortable when they get done signing on the dotted line saying, you know what? I swear that this is accurate to the best of my ability under the penalty of perjury. No one feels comfortable with that, Kurt. I don't. I do my best to be honest and to file properly, but I'm still not comfortable. They're not going to slaughter me after the fact. Even when I try to comply, even when I pay my fair share, even when I do everything that I possibly can, I still don't feel comfortable. I feel like they're going to eat me for lunch every chance they get. Well, you know why you don't feel comfortable about it? Because when the people are afraid of the government, there's tyranny. When the the government's afraid of the people, there's liberty. I don't know, but I just know this. Even if I try to do my very best, I don't feel comfortable. Well, and and we've seen article after article uh, where people, for example, big money people will submit, say, f- to 50 different uh, accounting firms the exact same details on an individual, and they'll get different numbers, 50 different numbers, Sam. Uh, so it basically uh, it proves that there's no real... <laughs> right way to do that which means that basically if the government wants to and your pals at the irs want to they can well teach you a lesson like they've taught so many and uh, you know the other thing to throw in here in the uh, i guess you could say reason to move to a transaction tax kind of thing is You know, when you really want to free the American economy, the American people, you want to free the president from getting hassled about his tax forms. You want to free the, you know, our friends like the Cromars and so many others, you, me, and and so many of us, free free us from the slavery of this um, system that we've been subject to for over 100 years, Sam. Well, and that's why I take the chance to bring this up and to put your ideas on the table, Kurt, my ideas. Okay, income tax and property taxes are part of the communist manifesto, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, and that's the problem that I have with them, Kurt, is that, you know, I'm not trying to get out of government taxing us something, okay? I'm not trying to get out of my just responsibility. What they love to do is throw this fear in your face that you just don't want to pay your fair share. That's your problem, Sam. You just don't want to pay your fair share. But I say that's not true. In fact, that's why I'm spending so much time saying, look, I'm not anti-government, and I agree that there needs to be a way to pay for the proper role of limited constitutional government. There's a way to hold government accountable, to give government the funding that it needs to carry out its appropriate delegated by the consent of the governed authorities. I have no problem with paying that part, Kurt. But when it becomes invasive to my personal family from a violation of the Fourth and Fifth Amendments, you know, violation of property rights, violation of um, privacy rights, when it does things that interrupt my ability to, to progress, to prosper, to dream the American dream, then I got a problem with it. 
And, and the reason I do is because there's ways to pay for the legitimate proper role of government that don't inter, or inject that fear portion, that don't inject that violation of my privacy portion, that don't inject that portion where um, I can't prosper, that, that's, that's controlled in a way that really prevents me from progressing or doing better. Okay, that's my problem with those taxes. Okay, that's why I like an apportionment tax or a sales tax or a transaction tax because they don't do those things. Now, remember, again, and I want to point this out, income and property taxes, Kurt, are part of the Communist Manifesto. Okay, that's why I'm so against them. But don't you for a second think that I'm anti-government because that's a flat-out lie. And I hope we've spent enough time this hour to say not only do we reject, do we reject the current taxes, uh, but we explain why we do. And then rather than just, you know, being so anti-everything, we're pro the proper role of government. We're pro government getting its needful funding in some ways. The third way they can get money, Kurt, in addition to, um, well, I shouldn't say third way, a second way, in addition to sales, transaction, um, or apportionment taxes, there's also tariffs. And there could be a sharing program where states get a piece of that tariff pie as well. Hey, whatever exports, I'm sorry, whatever uh, imports the nation does, let's say that the government gets a certain amount for tariffs. You know what? The federal government could share with the states some of that revenue. Because where do imports go, Kurt? To the several states. Uh, And you can either do it by generally saying, what are the imports? Let's divide it by, again, the apportionment of the people. Uh, Utah would get three millionths of 200 or 330 millionths, so to speak. Or you could do it a different way. You could simply say, look, we're going to do it different. Um, We're going to say what percent is Utah of the United States and do it percent wise. Or you could also then say, you know what? What is the destination of an import? Total up the destinations to every import that come in. In other words, what dollars import to Utah for its landing points, if you will. Uh, And then you could do it that way. I mean, there's several ways you could apportion the money. But you could get some money from tariffs, too, um, and share with the states, Kurt. Right? What do you think of that? Well, to me, the tariffs are a massive win-win thing. And uh, the the world globalists, the world free trader kind of crowd, they don't want to, you know, uh, promote that hide yeah but you got to just look at the history thing that, that president trump has learned about and the rest of us have you know been able to learn a little bit about it even in spite of the normal standard media and, and look at it uh, you look at when we started 1787 uh, for more than 100 years as i understand it we had no debt federal government wise and uh, yet when we eliminated basically the tariffs and embraced these other systems, man, the debt went just out of control. Yes. And that's my kind of my problem with it, Kurt, is that the system that we have put in place not only puts the people in fear of their government, not only makes people wonder if they're complying, not only chokes the income, the prospering side of the equation, but oftentimes it lets government have so much money so much money, Kurt, that there's just no accountability at all. Okay? I mean, who's going to question it, right? Right? That's kind of the problem that I have is um, I don't see anything reducing the size and scope of government. In other words, what pressure 
is put on government to reduce expenses, to live within a budget. To And I don't see anything in place that really slows that down, Kurt. Right? And that's kind of why I want the states to be involved. Right? And so Sam and Kurt agree that an apportionment tax, tariff tax, sales tax, or transaction tax would be a much better solution. And I'll tell you what I like the most, Kurt. I'm going to change the order of this a little bit here. And I'm going to put tariff tax, apportionment tax, and I'm going to put sales tax last, okay? Because I want to put them in order of which I would prefer them. Uh, and I don't know if you agree with this uh, order that I've got it in, but I would say this. I say a tariff tax, apportionment tax, then a transaction tax, then a sales tax would be the order that I would like to see it in. What do you say to that, Kurt? And the reason I say that is because I want the tax not on the American people at all if I can help it. That's why I go with a tariff tax first. An apportionment tax has the least abuse at all. You don't even need to know anybody's names, just what percent in the apportionment they represent, right? Yeah, and the whole idea of making America great again, you know, is look back at history and see what worked. Amen. And then I like the um, transaction tax a little better than the sales tax. And again, the reason I say that is because a teeny piece of every transaction, you don't even hardly notice, Kurt. It wouldn't really be such a big number that you'd be like, oh, geez. And so I like the, the broader the tax is, the less it can be per transaction. So that's why I like it even better than a sales tax. If you're not careful, you say with the sales tax, well, let's not tax this and let's tax that and let's tax this real hard. And pretty soon you get into the rich and poor game. If you just have a uniform, and that's the word, transaction tax. I'm going to add that to it, by the way, because that, then you say we're not going to reward or play games with things. We're just going to make it as insignificant, small, in other words, and as least intrusive as possible. So there's the order. To those of you who think we're anti-government, you lie. To those of you who realize that Liberty Roundtable is one of the greatest think tanks on the planet, you're on to something. Spread the word, would you please? Donate your money to help us grow our presence in the media and tell the, table, tell the tale of liberty. We don't think we're more important than anybody else, but we do think we should have a seat at the table for discussions. Think how brilliant these think tanks are from Liberty Roundtable. It's not just Sam and Curtis, everybody that comes to the roundtable. We declare this nation shall endure. Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. show. All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman and Kirk Crosby live on your radio. Hard-hitting news that I refuse to use. Always at your fingertips. This is the broadcast for September the 16th in the year of our Lord 2019. This is our two of two. And our goal, steady as a rock, that is to promote God, family, and country and to protect life, liberty, and property in the traditions of our founding fathers. Um, Scott Bradley with us to preserve the nation. FreedomsRisingSun.com is his website. Welcome back, brother. Thank you so much. Always good to be here. All right, a lot to talk about with a good Dr. Scott Bradley. So we talked about last hour in 1955, 
D-A-R, that's the daughter of the Amer- Daughters of the American Rev- Revolution, petitioned Congress to set aside September 17th to the 23rd as well, it's a, a week to be dedicated for a Constitution commemoration, if you will. You bet. A remembrance, an observance. Okay, this is critical. And Constitution Day is tomorrow. We wanted to give everybody a heads up to celebrate uh, all week for this and commend the Daughters of the American Revolution and commend the founders and framers of the supreme law of our land that has provided more freedom to more people in the history of the world than anywhere else on the planet. And most of all, even when we've lost a few freedoms, we still have the checks and balances and the framework to restore our liberties. What we need is pure application of the principles that made America great, and we can do it again. So no other nation, even if they have a couple of more freedoms uh, than we do at this point on a given issue, they don't have the framework to restore as we do. Anyway, we talked about Carl Icahn. Uh, He's headed to Florida for lower tax rates, according to Bloomberg. The regulations, the taxes in New York are just too out of control. So we got into this discussion, Scott Bradley, and I want to catch you up on this and then get your take quickly and then move on to other topics. But I talked about, and Kurt talked about this idea that income tax and property taxes um, and sales taxes, that's kind of the debate. Every state has a property tax, an income tax, or a sales tax, or multiples. There's no state with no property tax or income tax or whatever. And so which one's the best way to pay for the proper role of government? Property tax, sales tax, or income tax? And we reject that notion. Number one, income and property taxes are part of the Communist Manifesto. Let's start with that reality check and say that's why we're against those. When people are in fear of their government, it's disaster. All right, when people can't keep their property even though they've slaved maybe for 30 years to pay it off, that's a whole other topic. But And then in the end, the government can literally, with eminent domain, kind of steal your property and say you didn't pay your taxes. I mean, it is egregious. It is abusive. Uh, it is horrible. So we reject property tax and income tax. Now, then Sam and Kurt agreed... The tariff tax, apportionment tax, uniform transaction tax, or sales tax would be a much better solution to the problem. We need to get away from this violation of the Fourth and Fifth Amendments. Get away with this violation of your private property and your income and your privacy and get away from this keeping people in fear of their government to pay their fair share. Um, And that's kind of the debate that we uh, framed last hour. Do you want to chime in on that, Scott, real quick? Well, there is indeed much to be spoken of in regards to taxes. And as President Washington said in his farewell address, you know, in order to have government, you do have to have taxes. You do have to have a methodology by which to defend the nation. And uh, the founding fathers understood that. And and, uh, while taxes are uh, something that we all grit our teeth over, there has to be a methodology to pay for those proper processes of government. Now, we've gone way beyond anything that's proper. But one of the uh, the things that we need to understand, and you mentioned this, was the, the tariff taxes. They are, they are constitutional. That, in fact, if you read the 45th Federalist uh, uh, paper, was how James Madison suggested that the bulk of the U.S. government's operation would be paid for. And um, the idea of, of uniform uh, uh, tariffs and all that is, is something we could discuss at great length. But this uh, idea that we go to, to uh, uh, some kind of an agreement, like, like a, 
Trans-Pacific Partnership or a NAFTA or something like that, or most favored nation status for China or whatever. All of those things are perversions of that. And and we have come into a, a state where, for example, if we if we do Mexico, Canada, and and basically give them special status on our tariffs, we're undermining our own constitutional tax status. Okay, so the the ability to collect taxes is being undermined by an international body. And that, that's another topic we could talk about, how uh, Congress loses control of all of this through these free trade agreements, so-called. They're not free trade. They're all managed trade by international bodies. And so, change managed to manipulate it because they're all manipulated trade. They're not even managed properly in, in the best interest of the United States. They're manipulated trade. And it's manipulated for the globalist perspective. And George Washington addresses that very, very, uh, just effectively in his farewell address also about us giving things away that we should not be given away, which is, again, this, this issue with these free trade agreements, so-called, which are not free trade. The idea of, of a tax issue, uh, I think, yeah, we, we, there is a better and more fair way in the, the Constitution, I think, defined the way the founders wanted to do it. But part of the, our big problem is, and, and absolutely it'll go along with you, uh, an income tax and a uh, uh, property tax absolutely are destructive. They're, they're Marxist in their origins, and they've been implemented by the United States to the nth degree. And if you look at, if there's such a thing as an average American, the average American pays approximately 50% of their gross income to some level of government, whether it's through state and federal income tax or through property tax or through excise tax or through gasoline tax or through sales tax. You know, you can go on and on and on, but we pay about half of our gross income to some level of government, and it's pillaging us, uh, and we've voted for it, which uh, shows us how stupid we are. But I'm really concerned with some of these efforts by some people, you know, like a flat tax, for example, or something like that, um, that uh, if unless and until we get our arms around the fact that the government does not have access to do whatever it darn well pleases for whatever purpose it chooses to do, a flat tax could become a 99% tax or a 98 or 90 or whatever it is. We have a problem in that we're binge spenders as a nation, and we think that we can spend money for whatever purpose. And, and if you look back, for example, at the uh, the Butler case back in 1936 that went before the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court exempted the welfare clause, so-called, from the limits and bounds of the Constitution and says if it has to do with money, you can spend it for whatever you want. And that just put this put us on a bad track. So I think absolutely most of the taxes we've got are wrong. But we have a, a fundamental problem in that Americans and their leadership think that anything and everything is fair game for government to buy into. And it is not. It's It pillages and plunders the right of the individual to choose the use of their labor, how they're going to pay for whatever. You say, oh, it's for the good of all or whatever. That's, again, a Marxist thing. From each according to his ability to each according to his need. Okay, well, that's that's another one of those. It's just Marxist to the core. And so I think we've got to settle down and say government cannot be in these areas. And you know, I, I use the number 80%. It's a number you can argue about. You might say, no, no, it's more like 75, no, it's more like 85, whatever. But let's say, for the sake of argument, 
of the expenditures of the national government right now are absolutely unconstitutional. And, and the, for example, the uh, entitlements take 61% of the national government. That 61% is unarguable then, because entitlements absolutely are not included in, in the powers delegated to the national government. And then you look at all of the unconstitutional wars, these military adventures all over the world, uh, foreign aid, these things of taking from American citizens and redistributing wealth, whether it's to a foreign power or it's to a, um, a state or to a city or to a student or, or an individual, you cash for clunkers or whatever. There is no authority delegated in the Constitution to do these kind of things. So I, I say the number's around 80%. And, and I may be somewhat wrong, but it's close. And and so we are binge spenders, and that, I think, has got to be solved, or else if you pick some other methodology, let's say a national sales tax, well, you could put an 80% um, uh, value-added tax or sales tax or whatever you want to call it on every commodity that gets purchased. You just pick a number because it can go as high as you want because we will not limit what we are allowed to spend money on. Yes, it can, and I agree, and that's why I put it down the list of preferred taxes, but I would say at least it's better because it would be transparent, number one, and their ability to create the fear factor by violating my rights of privacy and or my property or whatever would be decreased. So I agree it's not as good as the others, and that's why we put it in this order. We simply reject property or income tax because they're part of the Communist Manifesto, but then we say Sam and Kurt agree that tariffs... A tariffs would be the best way. Apportionment tax might be another good way because neither of those are egregious on the American people and it, it limits the government from that ever-increasing reality. Uniform transaction tax because, again, <clears throat> it'd be a very low number, but yet you wouldn't be able to manipulate it uh, across the board. It would just be a, a very, very small. A sales tax would be um, the least valuable, but still a much better solution than keeping everybody in fear, violating their privacy, uh, throwing people in jail, stealing their homes, turning the government into an agent of destruction. Um, at least it would be better than that. So when we come back really quick, Scott, before we leave this topic, let's have you say I'm an apportionment tax, but what do you think about these other ideas? What other taxes besides tariffs could make sense to fund the proper role of limited government and created a fair checks and balance plan that would be good for everybody? These things do exist, ladies and gentlemen. Like I say, Dr. Scott Bradley with us. This is Liberty Roundtable Live, an incredible think tank, to say the least. Kosher. Certified. Put the two words together to get co-certified, which is spelled with an S-E-H instead of just S-H. It's the right way to spell this, the German way, and it made it easier to trademark. Now, did I tell you that the letters S-E-H still make the shh sound, as in all those American food producers saying shh? Let's keep it really quiet that our product is kosher certified. Think about it. Nearly one century of kosher certification, and hardly anyone outside exclusive observers knows that most packaged food and kitchen products are literally certified by religious intermediaries. Well, because you, consumer, are indirectly paying for this, the Co-Certified app is here to make kosher certification awareness an inclusive matter for people of all faiths and identities, and it even boasts a unique database of products not kosher certified. We call that NKC. Start memeing it. It's fun. NKC, not kosher certified. Now to confuse our audience even more, we put a question mark at the end of our name, and that really cinched our trademark approval. It relates to the website where you can begin your new shopping behavior, thekosherquestion.com. 
attention, Liberty News Radio listeners. Hard-hitting talk radio has never been and never will be supported by the mainstream in America. Hard-hitting talk radio is taking on the mainstream press like never before. News the networks refuse to use is one of the best ways to educate people. We invite all liberty-loving Americans to join with us to restore the principles of our founding fathers and promote God, family, and country in the media and our lives. Please help spread the Liberty message with your generous donation. You can go online at libertynewsradio.com right now and make a donation online. Or call 801-756-9133 and make a donation over the phone. That's libertynewsradio.com and 801-756-9133. Make a donation today. All right, Sam and Kurt live on your radio. Dr. Scott Bradley with us. Freedomsrisingsun.com, his website. Check out his incredible curriculum to preserve the nation. A homeschool series, book, videos, educational speeches, and more. Uh, And in addition to that, uh, weekly webinars on how to restore the republic or how to bring back the principles that made America great. Incredible stuff at freedomsrisingsun.com. So we're talking about taxes. I believe property tax and income tax are two of the most egregious because they come from the Communist Manifesto and have origins of, in my opinion, um, everything we stand against, really, is the point. But you know what? A tariff tax might be a good way. In fact, that's the Constitutional Founding Fathers' way. But you know what? An apportionment tax might be an answer. Hey, Utah has 3 million people. Therefore, Utah has 3 million of 330 million people in the nation's percentages or, uh, you know, apportionment uh, of the taxes. You could give, have the states give that to the federal government if they behave and follow their proper constitutional delegated mandate. So a tariff tax, an apportionment tax, those are probably my preferred methods. But you could even go to a small transaction tax or a sales tax, and all of those would still be better. Uh, than the fear and the abuse that we uh, experience under the current uh, system. Scott, you want to weigh in? What what would be your preferred ways? Or do you think we've got this well, right? First, first of all, let me let me say that an apportionment, excuse me, a transaction tax really is a sales tax. I mean, it yes, is, it is. I mean, a transaction tax would be sales, use, gross receipts, excise, any any That's right. kind of of thing that you you have a hedge funds stocks transaction tax. Yeah, hedge fund okay, cool. stocks. And the only reason that might make more sense than, say, a f- straight-up sales tax is uh, then you um, – it, it's a small percentage of everything, and it pretty much stays out of the way unless it rises too big. If it rises too big, the rich people start to, to scream the, the first, uh, or the people who have a lot of money start to scream the loudest, and they're the ones that have the greatest influence in many ways. Well, and you know what? And again, I, I tend to, to feel like a transaction tax by whatever – uh, application you give. I, I would think that there's a number of things that are wrong with that. One would be it still gives government access to everything you do financially. If you exchange gold with me for bicycles, I mean, you know, suddenly, I mean, we're, we're doing a trade. I have gold and you have bicycles. I want your bicycles. You want my gold. Suddenly, everything, the government's got their nose in the middle of everything. I agree. I fundamentally disagree with that. And that's why the further we go from the proposal that I have, which is a tariff and or apportionment taxes, the worse it gets, right? Absolutely. And I I would say that the the intention of the founders was to go with tariffs, and then if there had to be a tax raised, 
it was done, you know, based upon the census, and that's what the census was about, establishing the the representation in the House of Representatives, and then also to say, okay, if we had to go to that, something like that, they didn't they didn't try to value the property in Virginia versus New York or whatever. They said, no, 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 that's too that's too subjective. We'll put it based upon the population, and that's why the three fifths thing got in there with the slave thing because the argument from the South is, oh, they have no economic value, and the argument from the North then is, why do you have them then? I mean, and that's really really the basis of it. And so they came with the three fifths thing said so that that would base taxation and representation on that. And so let's say that the the national government had a billion dollars it had to was underfunded by, and Utah had ten percent of the population. I'm just picking numbers right now. Utah state would be basically um, get a bill from the national government for ten percent of a billion. Okay, Utah, the state of Utah, would then decide how to collect that from its people and send it in. And as you talk about, okay. Uh, the state of Utah then retained its leverage on the national government. Of course, we should have had that without the 17th Amendment anyway. So anyway, I some of these other taxes, to me, they're fundamentally wrong for a lot of reasons, and, and I'm trying to talk fast because in our time... Well, and, and you're right on every bit of that. However, there's a discussion that's a... a, a what do you want to call it? Um, an ideal and a real. And the ideal says, Scott, you're right on every point you make, and I concur a thousand percent. The real, though, is every one of these states already have a sales tax. And if I could get rid of a, an income tax and a property tax, even though they had a sales tax, I would applaud that state. There's not a single state right now that I know of that doesn't have a property tax, and there's not a single state that doesn't have a property or an income tax. And if we could even make it a sales tax and get rid of the property and income tax, it would not be the my perfect world for every reason you point out, but it would be a gazillion times better than what we've got now. And so the part of that is here's, teach to the ideal, live in the real, and work towards what we know to be right. Here, here's the deal. We, we need to make sure we're, we, we keep things straight. The national government has no authority to do any of the things it's doing right now. Okay, in terms of, of the way they're taxing and everything like that. No constitutional, no original intent, founding fathers things. Okay, but the states are sovereign entities also. And the states have to be something the people keep them within their limits and bounds also. See, within each state, it's a republic. And the people in this, this republic, Utah, for example, has to say, the people of Utah have to say, you know what, we're going to keep our legislature... In, on track on this thing, we are not going to allow them to put a sales tax in or a property tax or an excise tax or a uh, any kind of tax, income tax. Utah has to do that on its people, too. Utah, the people of Utah, have to be the watchdogs on their government. So first of all, let's eliminate the national government's authority to access to all these different things. If the national government does have an apportionment based upon population, which is what the Constitution directs us to, then Utah will have to, the people of Utah will have to say, hold it, you guys, we ain't, we ain't taking an income tax. Okay, and by the way, this is something we, we talk at length about in, in a financial uh, presentation I make, about how when, when each state had a seat at the table, uh, in, in the Senate before the 17th Amendment, the the House with its, I mean, they bought their votes. All they, they always have. They always said, vote for me, I'll give you this. When they got there, they all threw it in the pot. They decided they're going to help each other get reelected. They passed these humongous bills. They sent it over to the Senate. The Senate's sitting there thinking, whoa, 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 we don't have budget for that. And so consequently, 
if we go over this and we pass this uh, humongous bill with all these expenditures, my state legislature is going to get a bill from the national government apportioning to them their portion of this overspend. And they're going to look to me and say, you idiot, why did you vote for this? We're not going to re... We are not in, you know, going to let you take another term. There was, they couldn't recall them, but they could keep them from being appointed to being senator later. So the senators whittled it back to a reasonable amount and passed it. And, and that's what the deal is. The, is the United States, in, in 1800, the national debt was $15 and change per person. In, in, in that's eighteen hundred. Nineteen hundred, it was it was twenty eight dollars and change per person, and then it, then we got the the sixteenth and seventeenth amendments for their taxes and for the we took the states out of the table, plus the Federal Reserve in the in nineteen thirteen, and and so since then now our per capita is just thousands and thousands and thousands of times that. And it's because we we destroyed the national the natural checks and balances this interwoven tapestry the founders put together, and so this apportionment thing was what was supposed to be. But the senators were to keep an eye on things and 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 whittle back the stupidity of the house. But now the senators are just glorified representatives elected by the people, and they. In fact, they're worse because they're even more elite, and they go by that same principle of let's just get together and split the pot and play games and everything else, adding insult to injury. So, Scott, I agree completely. What if we um, had tariffs and apportionment, and they still felt like there was a legitimate need for some things? Uh, What would you? uh, And again. I'm not endorsing any other taxes as much as I'm saying you got to prioritize them though if they're going to go for something else what would you what would you say would be the least abusive of all of them because we've already got them in place so we got to decide which ones to dismantle first right Andy Jackson is the only president that ever retired the entire US debt and they used tariffs and apportionment and they sold federal lands that's how he got rid of the national debt. Now, it's the only time in all of our history we've done that. And, and honestly and truthfully, the, the national government shouldn't be holding the land anyway. I mean, the, it's very specific in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17. The national government can hold 64,000 acres, plus other needful buildings, sports, magazines, so on, as defined, with the permission of the states. They were very specific. A 10-mile by 10-mile section was all they could control. You do the math. That's 100 square miles, 640 miles per 640, 640 acres per square mile. 64,000 acres is all the national government was allowed to do. Andy Jackson sold off the land. And, and the people need to understand, it's always that the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. And Andy Jackson said that, by the way, in his farewell address, too. But, but that's where we've gone awry. We are selling ourselves. We sell our vote to a senator or a congressman. They sell them within their own offices. Amen to that. But the states, the states might say the Fed could sell all the uh, you know, what it wants. We're forced to balance our budgets. We've got to have another uh, way. The tariffs aren't enough from the feds. They're choking us. Our apportionments we send to them. How do the states get money? And that's why I say we've got too many taxes we've got to prioritize. I'd get rid of property and income first. There's not a single state that's gotten rid of both of those yet. But that's where I would start the discussion. Hang tight, folks. Proclaiming liberty across the land. You're listening to Liberty News Radio.
USA Radio News with Chris Barnes. General Motors and the United Auto Workers Union negotiators are to resume talk shortly, but for now, nearly 50,000 GM workers are on strike. The first strike at GM in 12 years. At one demonstration in Detroit, President of UAW Local 22, Wiley Turnage says, It's great to have support. You know, because we serve the community. You know, we have a lot of restaurants. We have gas stations, you know, so we need to keep this plant viable as possible. And then we have a lot of young families working here, a lot of temporary workers, you know, that have no stability in their life. So we're just trying to secure everyone's future. In President Trump's words on Twitter, the U.S. is locked and loaded, ready to respond to the weekend drone attacks on a giant Saudi oil refinery. The U.S. blames Iran for the attacks. And you're listening to USA Radio News. Do you have an idea for an invention or new product? Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Then call InventHelp now. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential and explains every step of the invention process. We create professional materials representing your idea and submit it to companies who are looking for new ideas. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We also offer services including 3D modeling and animation demonstrating your idea, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to show InventHelp client ideas to additional companies. Join the thousands of people just like you who chose InventHelp to pursue their idea. We are experienced. We are working for you. We are InventHelp. Call us for free information at 1-800-460-1663. That's 1-800-460-1663. Again, 1-800-460-1663. President Trump wants the Justice Department to, as he puts it, rescue Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh after a new accusation of sexual misconduct emerged. On Twitter, the president suggests Kavanaugh sue for libel. A report published to the New York Times claims one of Kavanaugh's Yale classmates saw him expose himself at a dorm party back in the 1980s. Democrat running for the White House, Senator Amy Klobuchar, among those calling for Kavanaugh's impeachment. My concern here is that the process was a sham. Um, I don't think you can uh, look at impeachment hearings without getting the documents. The House would have to get the documents, and the Attorney General is shielding documents. The Tennessee Titans say a mechanical failure by pyrotechnic devices caused a fire at Nissan Stadium before yesterday's game against the Colts. It happened on the sidelines. A stadium worker put out the fire, and no one was hurt. And this is USA Radio News. All right, so I agree with Scott that we should never need to go to these other taxes. The problem is we've already got them. So, Scott, on a on a pragmatic point of view or a reality check point of view, I agree we should teach to the ideal, and you're spot on on every point. However, in Utah, we have a property tax, we have a sales tax, and we have a uh, an income tax. I guess I'm saying I would get rid of the income tax and the property taxes first. Well, I think that that would be a good place to start. But I think that, that Utah's people need to recognize that they have a responsibility to keep to rein their government in. And you talk about how Utah has a um, a lot of states have a responsibility to balance their own budgets. That is an absolute facade. And and here's why. What the states do, let's just take Utah, for example. I worked very closely with a lot of the state for many years 
and how they got around that requirement. And, and uh, what, what they do basically is they say, okay, we got to balance our budget. But they've got $100 billion overspend, or $100 million or whatever number you pick. Just pick a number, $100 million. Okay. A huge That's number, though. If you, if you pick a number, it's got to be huge, right? Well, okay, so Utah says, man, we're $100 million <laughs> short. Oh, here's how we do it, and we balance our budget. We do a bond. Now, bonding, anybody that knows anything about finances know that bonding is a debt instrument. But Utah doesn't call it a debt instrument. They borrow $100 million, and they, they commit future revenues to the state to that bond. Therefore, they're pay-as-you-go with that in the sense that they're retiring that bond. But that's how they do it. I saw them do it time after time, where they exceeded their expenditures. They needed money. They took a bond. They, they did not call the bond a debt, which it really is, because they were, they were committing future revenues to it to pay it off. Therefore, it would be paid off. So, therefore, it's not a, a debt. Okay? This is just sh- a shenanigan. And, and that's why I say the people in Utah have got, in every state, have got to wake up and say, you know what, we're going to take care of our liberty. We're not going to go down this path. Now, by the way, if you want to go to the Constitution and look at the original intent on the founders, go to Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3, which talks about the uh, the uh, uh, census, but it also talks about taxes being apportioned among the several states, Okay. And then Article 1, Section 9, Clause 4 says, No capitation or other direct tax shall be laid unless in proportion to the census or enumeration herein before directed to be taken. So they tied it... In other words, your point is a transaction tax and a sales tax is just as unconstitutional. And you're right about that. I just say that it's less less egregious and less abusive than the other abuses. That doesn't mean that I'm for them in any way. I'm just saying if we got to extract ourselves from these abuses, where I would start and, and, and where I would at least willing, like if they said to you right now, we're going to get rid of a, of a property tax and an income tax, but your sales tax is going up by a third, would you support it? No, because they could do the same thing again and again and again. Here's what it does. Number one, it puts the national, it puts any government, whoever's doing these, in every single transaction. Every tra- yes, it does, but but at least they're on only one side. Right now, see, they're on both sides. They're on your income, they're on your property, or all three sides. They're on your income, they're on your property, and they're on your expenditures. This way, yeah, they're abusing your expenditures for sure, but they're not involved in the income and or the um, property side, right? Here's the other thing. It will make everybody a thief and a liar because of this. All of us will try to avoid those by growing our own gardens, if nothing else. And and we will each try to do uh, exchanges privately on the street. Here, you take this and I'll take that. And and what actually happens is they start to chase you for black market stuff. And this is what it's happened all over the world. And it's really not black market. All it is is people trying to survive. And the government has to get in the face of everybody. And so now you're a black marketeer. You're right, but they're already in. They're already in the face of everybody. My income tax or my sales tax just went up even this last cycle. I had to adjust as a as an IT guy. I had to adjust all the the sales tax charges and um, you know the sales tax went up. The income tax goes up. The, and so I agree with every point you make. But at some point we've got to extract ourselves from this. And the only question left is how, right? Well, we've got to start somewhere, and property tax and sales, I mean, property tax and income tax, I agree, are the, a great place to start. But I believe that sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking 
that there aren't downsides on the other stuff, too. Oh, there's right. downsides on the other yeah. stuff, too. I'm just saying if you have three taxes and you turn it into one that they've already got in place, I would prefer that. But at least it's deal. transparent. Our, at sales least... tax, our sales tax goes up a third. Yep. That, that's, a, that's a legislatively created number. If they find it's not enough, they bring it up by, you know, another 5%. That's right. And everything you say is true, but, but at least it's transparent to where the people can squawk, and at least it's one out of three taxes. Two of them are gone. Right. So again, wouldn't not, you, Scott? Perfect, wouldn't you be able to, if the legislature did that? Wouldn't you be able to just go ahead and, you know, basically uh, get rid of those guys and then put people in that wouldn't do that? Well, uh, it seems to me. Right what? That's exactly what we should be doing right now. The, right. Because these but we're not. are doing that, and we are not as a people. We are so apathetic, yeah. uncaring, ignorant, and and just. We're well, it seemed so, like, though, if you had it all in one thing, it would be easier to focus on. Well, Instead of and, and so many is, little enemies coming from so many places that you can't even really add it all up. And my point is, uh, we're not endorsing a sales tax or saying that it's a fine tax. All we're simply saying is this. Right now in the state of Utah and many states across the country, uh, we have all three. And all I'm telling you is there's got to be a way to extract ourselves as a state from that. Uh, and, and the only way that I know is to, to work on it a little bit of time, incrementally progress. And I agree. The idea would be, Hey, we have no sales tax, no property tax and no income tax. And the only tax we have is a tariff tax and an apportionment tax and nothing else. That's, that would be the ideal. But again, we're in the real and we have all three of them. And the only question is, well, how do we... we've got more than that. How many people look at the gas pump and know that 40-something cents per gallon is going to a government... No, you're right. And, and now what you're doing is making the issue even more complicated. There's a, there's a hidden everything everywhere. I mean, if you... Buy it, but is that all that, alcohol. you know, when it comes to the gas, is that really all that's going to the government? You know, I would submit, what about all the taxes put on the oil industry and the companies and all that kind of stuff, they have to add that on to, exactly. you know, the cost of their product when we buy it. So That's to me, that, that number's if, if, if right. If a car dealer or a car manufacturer or a parts originator has to pay a tax at every level that they do, that all gets added in and it ultimately goes into the cost of the vehicle or the cost of the oil, the, the gallon of oil, whatever. Everything we do is somehow, it's, it's hidden from us in so many ways that most of us don't even know the levels of taxes we're paying. That's right. And so what you've got to do is educate people uh, about it, talk about what's going on, and eventually work towards extracting yourself from it. And the only real discussion is how do we live in the real, uh, work towards the ideal. I mean, that, that's really what we're talking about. And I'm proposing that if we could get rid of Property taxes and income taxes, those are the, probably the two most egregious that I would like to see go. And um, you know what? And they're uh, planks of the Communist Manifesto, right? That's right. Yes, indeed they are. And, th and that's why I say I want to start there. And, and uh, you know, a sales tax isn't great. I'm not loving it. But at least it's transparent. At least it doesn't choke the income or the the property, the, the prospering side of the equation. I can decide to spend less. I can decide to. Uh, but so is it perfect? Far from. But there's an ideal discussion, and Scott's right on every point he's made, a thousand percent correct. Uh, but in the real, at some point, you got to say the chances of me saying to you guys at the state level, "Hey, 
I want you to get rid of all your 3,000 hidden taxes. Let's go. And I'm not going to get anywhere. I'm just going to be laughed off the stage and it's done and there's no discussion anymore. But if I start by saying, hey, many states don't have an income tax. Many states, don't, um, you know, we could start there. Or you know what? Um, uh, hey, many states have a very low property tax. Um, I think that a lot of Americans could understand that, get their arms around it, and you could move the needle incrementally. So is it perfect? Far from. But look, right now, as far as I can tell, we have all three, and they're abusing me to the point where I can't even hardly prosper, Scott. Well, we do indeed have to begin somewhere, and I think it is an incremental process. There's no question about that. I think that the issue has got to be raised in the minds of the people. We've got, we've got to be aware of it. And let's just say it's an incremental process that's going to take 10 years. Let's say it takes 20 years. You put on a straight-line depreciation process where we take one-tenth of whatever we're doing and cut it back every year, or one-twentieth, and, and after 10 years or 20 years, whatever number we, we figure, we have, we have suddenly got, not suddenly, but it's over time, we end up with a livable kind of government again. And yes, it has to be incremental. And, and yes, if we can eliminate income and property tax, we would be much freer. Absolutely. But I really do believe that there's, there's an undertow that's taking us under and has to do with our fundamental greed, thinking that we can take from some and give to others, and, and that what's taken from us is going to be less than what's... What and, as Scott says, we can't steal from one another. We can't get something for nothing. Those fundamental principles are key. In the last segment, I want to leave the tax discussion, and I want to move to a religious liberty discussion, because I believe if we were to truly stand for religious liberty, 90% of the problems we're talking about would be a downstream non-issue. Let's talk about it with Scott Bradley in seconds. As the United States boldly stepped forward in the glorious light provided by its new constitution in 1787, the nations of the earth were in awe of the newfound strength and hope of this free land. Today, the nation stands at a crossroads, a divergence from the original intent put forth in the United States Constitution has brought grave threats to our beloved nation. A miracle is needed if the United States is to survive. That miracle is again the pure application of the United States Constitution. I'm Scott Bradley. In my To Preserve the Nation book and lecture series, I bring forth truths that will help raise up a new generation of statesmen like those noble Americans who founded this land. Vigorous application of these principles will invigorate and restore the nation and we may become again the freest, most prosperous, most respected, and happiest nation on earth. Visit to PreserveTheNation.com to begin that restoration. Okay, girls, about finished with your lesson on money. Daddy, what is a buy-sell spread for gold coins? Well, when you sell a gold coin to a coin shop that's worth, say, $1,200, you don't actually get $1,200. But don't worry, we're members of UPMA now, so we don't have to worry about that. Daddy, what if somebody steals our gold? We don't have any gold at the house. It's stored safely in the UPMA vault, securely and insured. But the S&P 500 outperformed gold. Daddy, gold is a bad investment. Some people do think of it that way, but actually, gold is money. And as members of the United Precious Metals Association, we can use our gold at any store, just like a credit card. Or I can ask them to drop it right into Mommy and Daddy's bank account, because we're a UPMA member family. 
Find out more at upma.org. That's upma.org. All right, Dr. Scott Bradley's with us. I want to talk about in defense of religious liberty because I think 90% of what we're discussing is really a downstream discussion. And if we really defend the religious liberty as we ought, then you know what? Most of these problems we're facing might not even be on the table for abuse or discussion, Scott. Well, it's so true. And, and in fact, if we look at the uh, origins of the nation, people came here for a lot of reasons. But uh, if you look at, for example, the Mayflower Compact, it, they came for the furtherance of the Christian faith. And and, and that, was, that was one of the principal reasons people came. They came for economic and everything else, too. But uh, and they were fleeing the religious persecution of the of the world that was out there, and and it was horrific. And and there's oh documentation that would that would just absolutely curdle your blood on on what was going on in the name of religion. And so people came here, they and they were by and large religious people, and and of course we we had all sorts of things that happened. Uh, you know everything from the Northwest Ordinance of 1787. Uh, to the, uh, well, actually what happened before that was the Virginia uh, Religious Liberties Act in, in 1786, and of course the the First Amendment, everything. All of that, it gives us the privilege of, of expressing our religious freedom. And uh, re- religion, as the founders understood it, came you know from the fundamental uh, doctrine of, of the uh, Scriptures. Ten Commandments, 20% of those, and this is going back to what we talked about earlier, Thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not covet have to do with taking other people's property. And so private property is important. So we could solve that problem by being a people that live their religion. But this religious liberties issue today is under attack, as I believe it's never been under attack in the last, last 250 years. And, and one instance that I find that I came across is Virginia is persecuting a Christian realtor over having in her signet under, under her signature in her emails she sends out, you know, a, a, a Jesus loves you kind of message. I mean, it's it's out of you know John chapter three verse sixteen, which God so loved the world he sent his he gave his only begotten Son. And and what is happening is she is being attacked, is basically losing her ability to to work because they they said basically you can't put that in there because somebody may feel discriminated against if they see that on your signature. Therefore, you cannot, uh, you can't put that in there or you can't practice your, uh, your profession as a realtor. And so she resigned from that. And, and basically, for this to be happening in Virginia, as I mentioned, back in, in uh, 1786, Thomas Jefferson uh, authored the Virginia Religious Liberties Act in, in uh, January, I think, is when it passed in 1786, and and absolutely, unequivocally, totally, and completely, it it allows her to do what she was doing there, and does not allow her to be, as it says, nor shall be enforced, restrained, molested, or burdened in his body or goods. Now shall otherwise suffer on account of his religious opinions or belief. All men shall be free to profess and by argument to maintain their opinions in matters of religion, and that same shall in no ways diminish, enlarge, or affect their civil capacities. 
And and they were so absolutely convinced of this thing that they said, we know we can't, we, there's no way we can bind future legislatures and make sure they never uh, violate this. But it is our opinion that if they ever do, they're violating an individual right. And um, so anyway, uh, let me just read you a little, if I find it here quickly. Uh, okay, uh, giving this uh, to some judge. It says, uh, religiously, because he being, of course, judge of that tendency, will make his opinions the rule of judgment and approve or condemn the sentiments of others only as they shall square with or suffer from his own. Okay, so what's happening is in Virginia, if you will, the, the hotbed from which our religious liberties were, were really cultivated in America, uh, because this was, this was, uh, the, not just a stake in the sand or in the in the and it was etched in granite or whatever that Virginia felt that this religious freedom was something so fundamental to Americanism that it had to be protected and then of course then we we get the uh, 1787/89 Northwest Ordinance which protects it also and then we get the the Bill of Rights and what became the First Amendment protects our religious liberties it cannot be infringed. And and so here we have in Virginia, they're disallowing a woman because she says Jesus loves you, uh, you know, on her signature line. This person might have someone feel like they're being discriminated against, and consequently she is being discriminated against. And this is this is kind of just a symptom of what is going on in America today. In uh, September of. 2016, the U.S. Civil Rights Commission put out a 296-page report in which they agreed that we needed to define religious liberties as narrowly as possible to prevent some of these new rights that are being created in the government, like gender and, and race and all this kind of stuff, from being infringed upon in any way. And, and here's the problem that we get with a lot of religious institutions. They're trying to protect their turf. They say, oh, as long as we can meet in our church, our synagogue, our, our cathedral, whatever, we're good. As long as we can preach our gospel, we're good. As long as we can teach our Sunday school classes, we're good. But here's where we're losing it. This woman in Virginia is not professing a certain religious cult or, or denomination or anything like that. She says Jesus loves you, and she is being censored. And she is losing her ability to function in the marketplace. And this is exactly what happened in the Soviet Union. I mean, we've talked about red flag laws and how you could be put in jail for not being stable or something like that. Religion is instability in the old Soviet mindset. And in a lot of people's minds today, including our national government, the Civil Rights Commission for the United States, the guy Castro, I can't remember his first name right now, that's the chair of that, they wrote, we've got to define this as narrowly as possible. And, and this woman stepped over the line, for goodness sake. And, and people need to understand, churches need to understand. They need to understand that if they don't defend the individual, the individual in this, there's not an institutional threshold. You don't need 15 million members in the United States, or 2 million, or 5 million, or whatever. You don't need more than 6 million. It, it's an individual thing. Thomas Jefferson considered himself a sect of one, and that was okay, because he could hold his religious beliefs. But, but here's what's happening in America today. 
this is just the tip of the iceberg. And there's an effort being made to limit our religious liberties in order to enhance the, um, these other created things that now we have as individuals the responsibility to fulfill. Some gender bender thing that you say, you know what, I, I just can't ride my motorcycle in the gay pride. I'm using an example in Salt Lake City as a cop. I can't ride my motorcycle in the great gay pride parade because it violates my religious belief. They fired him. And it's like, he didn't, he didn't say, I mean, he got somebody else to ride for him. He said he would perform some other duties, but they said that doesn't comport with the attitude that we want in our department, and therefore you're fired. And, and Utah's Religious Liberties Anti-Discrimination Act actually facilitates that now, because an organization just has to say, well, yeah, we reviewed it, and, and your position just doesn't abide with what we'd like to put forward as our official viewpoint. Therefore, you're gone anyway. That officer would not have been protected, even under Utah's new religious liberties thing. And we need to be very careful, ladies and gentlemen, that we stand in defense of religious liberty on all fronts, not just limited fronts. And here's why. The New American um, magazine, thenewamerican.com, has this article in detail. It's an incredible breakdown. All right, Virginia persecutes Christian realtor over Jesus loves you. Okay, this is serious, serious business. And you can ignore it now, but this is where it starts. And once the slippery slope starts to roll, by the time the American people wake up, they may not be able to stop it, is the point, Scott. You're absolutely right. And what, what's really interesting to me is if you read, you know, where that, uh, that statement comes from, the, uh, and I mentioned uh, John three sixteen, John three seventeen ought to be read with it too. As sixteen and seventeen together says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life." For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. This is a very hopeful. This hopeful. isn't a condemning of anyone. Is the point? No, it's saying, hey, guys, we're all in this together, and you know what? God's going to watch out for us. And suddenly they're, they're, they're having this war on this woman, and I'm telling you, this is just just a, the most superficial, uh, cosmetic kind of thing that's going on at the very bowels of our government. This effort is being undertaken, and, and I, I think that individuals have got to wake up to it, uh, but so do churches. So do synagogues. So do, I mean, pick whatever religion you're in. And if your religion is saying to you, oh, we're protecting our religious liberties to meet on Sunday or Saturday or whenever your church meets or your synagogue or whatever, if you're picking, oh, we, we still get to have our Sunday school, but you know what? We are losing it. When the people lose it, the churches will lose it. It's It's a, you know, you talk about the domino effect or... Or let's take this incrementally. You know, we were talking about that earlier on the idea of, of let's get rid of bad taxes incrementally. This is getting rid of religion incrementally. And, uh, and, and some things are politically correct and are possible to uphold. I know a very bright young man. Now, this is not religion, but he was dishonorably discharged. He was an officer. And he was dishonorably discharged because of an undertow of a politically correct thing. Okay, and and he said, no, it, really, this is wrong. It's it's not only fundamentally wrong; it's discriminatory, and and it was discriminatory in favor 
of the new government endowed rights that now the rest of us have to fulfill. Because if you create a right, somebody else has to fulfill it. If God gives you a right, it's universal. Okay, but if if they say we're gonna we're gonna make it so that everybody has to do blah 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 in favor of this particular, it, it could be a physical, mental, emotional uh, trait. Then everybody else has to kind of bow to what that new edict is, and that's what I'm saying is is we need to wake up. And religions, I think, have some of the biggest problem with this, in that they're they're kind of smug. I think in the fact that they think we can, well, <laughs> we're still pretty safe in this. And hey, Scott. I, I think that there ought to be a way. Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus loves you, my friend. Thank you, sir. And I'm, uh, and I, that's some of the great hope of I take every single day. And I think even people who don't believe in our God or our Jesus or whatever else, for whatever reason they don't believe in that, they should be grateful we're praying for them. Grateful we're giving them a hopeful message. Whether they agree with it or not, they should say thank you. According to your beliefs, I'm grateful that you feel that way, and, and I hope the best for you and yours as well. And we need a little bit more civility in our society. Understand this, ladies and gentlemen. We need to labor with our hands so we don't steal from our neighbor. Taxes are grievous to be born, to say the least. Uh, and we need to work on that. But all these issues that we're talking about, whether it's taxes or proper role of government, if we lose religious freedom, we're going to lose it all. That's the bottom line, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to Liberty Roundtable Live. Scott, any final word? Stand tall, everybody, and uh, keep the faith because uh, it's going to get bumpy. All right. For Dr. Scott Bradley, for Sam Bushman, for Kirk Crosby, we declare this nation shall endure. God save the Republic of the United States of America.